listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. It's 2017. It's 2017. It's 2017. It's 2017. It was 2017 last episode, too. Uh, yes, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy uh, more importantly, Happy Malbrooksuary, everybody. It's Malbrooksuary! It's Sarah's favorite made-up holiday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's always my nerdonomy anniversary. It's whatever. always it's your nerd. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It was, uh, was it Blazing Saddles? Young Frankenstein. No, Young, Frank- Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. That was a fun one. That was so much fun, you guys. That was great. What was that, like, uh, four years ago? Three years ago? Uh, three years three. ago. Yeah. 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 That's so that's cool. Crazy. It's so exciting to be back here again with Hooray. Mel Brooksuary. I love this holiday, Sarah. I, you have yeah. officially been our fourth co host lo- for the most time. You yeah. are. Uh-huh. Yeah. There can be only one. Yeah. <laughs> We've outlasted the other ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Longevity, bitch. People are more familiar with the podcast with you being on it than they are <laughs> what we now call the pre Roxy days. Yes. <laughs> the PR days. Yeah. In, in the days before Roxy. The days yes. before. Yes. <laughs> of antiquity. So. so- there's been some really freaking good TV. Oh my god, lately. so good! What the hell? Film quality television, y'all. Yeah, cinematic mm. quality for sure. Big budget for real. Yeah. Some of the biggest budgets some of these uh, networks have ever had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So considering that we've had the holiday season, there's probably been a lot of binging happening of mm-hmm. turkey and food and carbs and television. So what has everyone been watching? Uh, I well, I blasted through The Crown, dude. Dude, when that came out so on Netflix. Fucking good. Like, I didn't think I was going to be that into it. Oh, my God. But, oh, my God, I was so into it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Winston Churchill, y'all. John oh, Lithgow was Lithgow awesome. John Lithgow. Oh, yeah. my God. I haven't seen all of it, but Vanessa was, was he, binging it. He so I would show. watch. He stole yeah. the show. Yeah. Well, freaking Matt Smith. Oh, my God. Did really such great. a great yeah. job. Don't you love how they, like, portrayed their relationship just enough to the point where there's so much drama and you're just seeing the intimacy, but it's enough to, like, still respect the fact that these are living people. Yeah. And it's 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 making a comment on a very protected monarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were very respectful, yet still controversial. Yeah, it, yeah. it is, because there's a lot of... <sighs> I shouldn't say there's a lot of debate in the UK, but there is a decent amount of debate in the UK about whether the royal family should even be allowed to exist anymore. Yeah. Um, no, there's a lot of debate about and, that. And oh I my mean, God. truth be told, 75% of population in the UK still approves of the, of the monarchy. Well, um, i got to have figureheads yeah, somehow, right? But there are liberals, just like there are in the United States, who who think, well, it's it's this point, it's, it's time for us to become a full republic. Mm. So... Um, there is that, and I think they did kind of cast that. Particularly, I love the episode mm-hmm. where Elizabeth, when she finds out that Churchill has been incapacitated for a pre, yeah. like she like that was the best episode. She was doing her job. Yes, you know she was acting, and she was doing her job as a leader of the country, not necessarily as a political figure. Nope. Yeah, and I thought that was awesome to show. Okay, to me, they showed that there is a purpose this institution serves. Mm-hmm. As much as you want to make about the argument, well. They're paid for with tax dollars and mm-hmm. shit. They also own the entire country, guys. It's their land. You're mm. on the the royal family's land too. Mm. So, um, it did, I think it was interesting, just very interesting yeah. how they made it. This very like, the royal family doesn't even have that that much choice. Like they're mm, in this yeah. kind of tradition that they are all part of. Oh, you they're know? plugged in. Well, yeah. and and there's the other aspect of it too that, um, 
that they talk about that I'm now blanking on. Oh my god, I totally just lost my train of thought. I got derailed. What the fuck? That's okay. Tom. You got derailed like that one girl did in that one scene when she's leaving the hospital and the bus totally hits her and we totally didn't see that coming. Yeah. Remember yeah. that part when when Tr- it was Churchill's uh Yeah, yeah. Churchill's Secretary. Secretary, yeah. Mm. God, that was such a good scene. That was really that was really such a good fucking episode. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Humanity. Um yeah, all the controversy and everything that they talk about in the show Mm -hmm. is not news. This is stuff that's like been in the newspapers. It like they literally are taking like historical accounts and reports and all this other stuff mm-hmm. and then just adding this dialogue and added drama to yeah. it to make it more interesting so like, it's embellished yeah for sure but yeah. there are certain aspects of it that are like no that legit happened like mm-hmm. the idea that the queen's husband cheated on her mm-hmm. several times for sure has been that rumor has been around for a long yeah. time yeah. i feel like there was less extrapolation with the margaret stuff yeah, <gasps> Margaret. The, the, Margaret the rifts between Princess Margaret and the Queen were very well documented. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's just a matter of like the dialogue between them, because mm-hmm. obviously nobody was there for that. Nobody sure, was there to write not. that down. So yeah. oh my god, and then how they portrayed the the issue with the smog. You yeah, know, and, and that whole just—I uh-huh. thought that episode was probably one of the most sort of like historical documentary kind mm-hmm. of style. Yeah, because yeah, I feel like this show had a really good balance of both historical accuracy mm-hmm. and dramatic mm-hmm. sort of extrapolation, like you're saying, yeah. and like, um, or I don't know if extrapolation is the word I'm going for, but definitely they had dramatic, um, license. Yes, and 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 yeah. to go with it, and then you had all these like intimate moments that mm-hmm. were so. Oh my god, so fine tuned, especially between father and daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god, so touching. Oh my wow. god, that guy, what's his name? Oh shit, he's such a good actor. He's too. such a good actor, and he killed it as the king. Like killed, yes, King like, George the Sixth. King George, yeah. king like George, did a right? much better job of of King George <gasps> than um, than Ooh. Colin Firth did. I think really? he is actually yeah. the son of um, Peter. He played the original um, uh, 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 wizard um, uh, Dumbledore. He played the original mm. Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Um, who's Richard the, Harris's son? Richard Harris's. Um, so the the actor's name is uh, uh, um, something Harris. Something Harris. The crown. Uh, uh, Jared Harris. Mm. That's who it is. Jared Harris is the son of Richard Harris. That makes sense why his voice sounds like Richard Harris's name. Such a cool connection. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I th- yeah. I think he did a better job than Colin Firth. Ooh, yeah. Well, it's interesting because they're in different stages of their life. Sure. That's Firth played him when George was still dealing with his stammer. Just getting started. And by this point, George had pretty much conquered but, it, but he would it would come out in moments of like, yeah. There, stress. well, I mean, there was like a flashback. flashback there was a flashback scene to where they were basically telling him like, "Hey, you're going to be the yeah. king now," and like he's kind of like processing and dealing with the stutter mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. And the way he did it just felt like a much more uh, stoic, real. Like you could see the panic behind his eyes, mm-hmm. but not on his face. And I just felt like he did it like a really. I thought he did oh a God. really good job. Like the, yeah. just the subtext that I one that of I'm my picking up from him. Favorite moments was Queen Mother when she was trying to buy the castle. Oh yeah, and the proprietor had no idea who she was. Uh-huh. And he was like, I know, I've seen your face. Yeah, <laughs> and she's like, mm-hmm. and I then for- when he realizes it, oh god. Yeah, so I, good. I forgot that for in Britain there was a brief period of time where there was the queen, the queen mother, and there was even a queen grandmother. Oh yeah, briefly mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I had so to cool. forgotten that 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 yeah. George and then her coronation. Yeah. Oh, because the queen the queen mother even lived to like 
A hundred. She was a hundred. Like, <laughs> They're work. all sitting in bed smoking. <laughs> right. yeah. I'm like, that's how you go out. Yeah. <laughs> oh Such a good show. That was a really good show. Such and then show. another really good show that has, you know, already gone through its season and everything like that. Uh, Westworld. Oh, which I, I haven't mean, seen a single episode. Oh, of. Brian, it might get on be, it already. It might be like. So bad. Oh, God. the best least thought out show ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, say more. <laughs> because so this show is kind of having the same issues that Lost did in, in like, mid-seasons. Hmm. Where they're not entire. I don't think they're entirely sure where they're going with it. But they have the next five planned out. Well, th- I, now they do. There mm-hmm. was years, years between the pilot and the second episode. Hmm. For Westworld? Yeah. Wait, they shot the pilot. Mm-hmm. Shopped the pilot for years. Finally got picked oh, up. Oh, I see what you're saying. Then they, they filmed, filmed the and they had. I don't think they knew exactly where they were going with it because if you like mm-hmm. watch some of the stuff from the pilot and then you watch the some of the episodes later on in the season and you're like, it was a little bit different. They stopped calling the the guests newcomers. Oh yeah, They're, they become the guests. You know, and like right. there's there's some just some slight differences in there and well, then. They- they and took a risk. They did. And the I pilot think, is one of the, is the most expensive pilot HBO's ever produced. Yeah. And I think there's some stuff, there's some aspects of it that I, I, there's a lot of questions. I don't want them to do the, you know, let's have a million red herrings kind of thing that Lost did. I mm. like, I like the mystery. Trust me. I love this show. I, they have me hook, line, and it's sinker great. for sure. So great. But so did Lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of like, I'm just a little afraid. I know. I'm but just... you know what? It's a Nolan yeah. project. Anyone who has the Nolan name. <laughs> is it that... Nolan? J.J. Uh, mm-hmm. Abrams it's, is. It's John Nolan. So it's it's Christopher Nolan's brother. Oh. So Christopher Nolan's brother. Cause it's, well, because it's a his... bad robot. Well, it's produced by J.J. Abrams, but written and created Mm -hmm. by John Nolan and Lisa Joy, who's John Nolan's wife. Okay. So uh, they're the the creative, they're the showrunners. Mm -hmm. And and I can't help but think of how much Christopher Nolan might have had some influence. Definitely. I mean, John Nolan has a big name to kind of, you know, sort of uh, work up to, Uh but still the same sort of creative spark and and, and, and intellectual genius. And it's a beautiful show. And sure. uh, Rachel Evanwood is like, oh my God. Amazing, so good. Amazing, Hopkins. Oh, let's spoilers. Um, okay, so let's. Is there any other anything else we want to say that we've seen? We've already recorded for ten minutes. Oh god. Um, I've kind of been. I mean, I haven't watched any of Westworld. We've been watching the Queen. That's right, the Queen, the the Crown. Sorry, sure. Um, mostly I've been. I haven't had that much time. To watch anything, really? much of anything. I've been so busy, guys. Mm, that's too bad. Um, with work, you know. So um, <laughs> one day at a time. Lord. Yeah, I've mostly been trying to make sure I watch because again, this is being recorded in mid-December. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I fit my Christmas specials in. <laughs> uh, that's like my first priority. Yeah. So um, Moana was awesome. You should I still haven't seen Moana yet either. I really want to. I see think Moana. that's one of the first ones you probably should see if you. We will. Yeah, for sure. I really, really Moana still want to see fantastic. that one. Yeah, and I really want to see Arrival. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say though, I feel bad for Moana because Zootopia, I think, is still it it, it, it holds supreme as far as quality animation coming from the Disney mm-hmm. home base. It's gonna win the Oscar. Like Zootopia, totally has has it because yeah. even though Moana is continuing the, on with the but the princess, statistically speaking, the ones that come out closer to the Oscars are more likely to win. Yeah, true. But I also want to look at the quality. I think if Zootopia sure. hadn't come out, Moana probably could have with animated features. It's what does fascinate me is that 
Last year, we had two park Pixar films, one Disney animated movie. This year, we have the inversion of it. We have one Pixar film, two Disney animated movies that came out in the same mm-hmm. year. Uh, and Finding Dory wasn't strong enough, though. No, what? it wasn't. It no. was good, but it's gonna it may get nominated, but it's no. not gonna win. It doesn't like have the same social email. commentary that uh, that Zootopia does. Oh, sure, it doesn't have the same character. I think like well, that's not that's not true because Dory's character was totally fleshed out in this whole fucking film. Mm-hmm. But the character of Moana itself, like it, you know, it's a throwback to Frozen. Sure. So there's that. Kind well, of uh, yeah, it's the it's the new feminist slant that Disney's mm-hmm. finally taking, so which yeah. is great. Um, yeah. Yeah, I still want to. I want to see that. I really want to see La La Land when it comes out. <gasps> yeah, too, so mm-hmm. there's a lot too. that I'm really excited for. Okay, Let's on do that it. note, guys, welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Brian Moriarty. <laughs> and I'm Roxina Berry. Welcome to Mel Brooksuary. Mel Brooksuary. Okay, so for those of you who have only started listening to us recently and have not caught up on our backlog, Mel Brooksuary is the annual holiday I made up one day. <laughs> One New Year's Day, to be specific, when I decided to start binge-watching uh, Mel Brooks movies. Um, in order to assuage her post-holiday slump. <laughs> yeah, and it just became a thing that on New Year's Day, I would start with watching Men in Tights and then just start watching a bunch of other Mel Brooks movies. So then... Um, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so then I changed... My January is now Mel brooks where I try to watch the entire Mel Brooks filmography in one month. Mm. And... It's totally achievable, by the way. Um, And I actually, for the first time ever, Mm -hmm. will be able to truly watch the entire filmography because I bought the last movie I needed, which was Life Stinks. Oh, snap! Which we will talk about today. So we're actually cramming in three. Three. And the funny thing is about it is that this this might be the last Mel Brooksuary because this is the final three movies we've talked about oh may i propose this will of course need to have sean um vote on it who couldn't be here tonight of course um maybe the way we celebrate mel brooksuary in future years Mm -hmm. is we provide commentary tracks Ooh, interesting on the mel brooks movies Mm. oh i like that or i'm also willing to say that we could Maybe change it, change and pick a different month, like James November. On. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did, and um, that's that, genius. Well, that well, that was actually Kevin. That was Kevin idea. a long oh, time right. ago. He did that. I had Fine. the idea of doing a Meryl Streep Timber. Streep Timber. Um, like mm. you know, we could we could pick a different theme or whatever that has like a series of, mm. of movies and and try to binge them all in one month. Anyway, I just I think like that it. that's an interesting idea to to I oh, like it a lot. Didn't Sean do Denzel Marchington? Oh my god, that's he even did better. Do Denzel yeah. Marchington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This so just keeps getting better I and think, better. I'm just saying that I think we can do all the above. Tom Hanks we can, we can certainly we can certainly do Well, Tom Hanks is a large film. Yeah. Uh, it's it's I would say going by directors might be better than going by actors. Um, yeah, probably. Because James Novembon, that's twenty five movies to go through. Twenty four movies. That's a lot. That'll be so for that's February. A movie a day. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I love I love your idea mm-hmm. of doing new months. We could. I'm just saying that there's an option. Yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. We can. The listener feedback about. That. Yeah, they can. Yeah. They can let us know what they want to do. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it's time for nerds on film to start changing stuff. Change it up a little bit. I change the so. format. I'm change. Excited. I think so. We can. We can play. But as far as finishing up the Brooks, yes, Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks filmography. Yes. What are the movies we are talking about? We will be talking about up. in chronological order. Mm. Twelve chairs. Oh. 1970. The twelve chairs. Life stinks. 1991. Mm. 
Dracula Dead and Loving It. Yeah. I see you, Leslie Nielsen. So we kind of picked in my, well, maybe not, not necessarily 12 chairs, but Dracula and Life Stinks are probably, in my my estimation, two of the worst. They're, they're kind <laughs> of the apocryphal films. Apocryphal. Because, because when you talk about Mel Brooks, I mean, Dracula Dead and Loving It is mentioned, but only because it's the last one he directed. Right. Um, he's obviously produced the, the producer's remake and all that stuff. But yeah. uh, he doesn't really get, you hear nothing about Life Stinks. It's because the movie kind of stinks. Um, <laughs> it was a and, flop. And 12 Chairs was a complete commercial failure, too. Well, 12 Chairs was a commercial failure. But and it's at, a good movie. It's a great movie. And at the same time, it's also a complete, like, sidestep from what Mel Brooks is known for. Same thing with Life Stinks. Even that's yeah. kind of a sidestep. So you kind of, he's known for these these spoofy movies, mm-hmm. right? And the the three that really don't fall into that spoof category is the producers, Twelve Chairs, and Life Stinks. Right. Yeah, and because he's trying to make things that are original in nature, mm-hmm. and I would say even say that Silent Movie is Silent movie was even though original. it spoofs an entire style of film, it's yeah. a fairly original concept. But like you know, there's the spoof, the deliberate spoof films like High Anxiety, well, Young Frankenstein, Spaceballs. Yeah. Silent film or silent movie was supposed to be a direct spoof, like of the entire genre. Just like Blazing Saddles was a direct spoof of an entire genre. Okay. Just, but, so I so I would I would argue against that. But okay, um, fair. Here's, but can I can I kind of mm-hmm. formulate a thought around that though? You, yeah. Sorry, because you, you brought up a really interesting point. Uh-huh. I feel like, and this is how I've sort of seen Mel Brooks's career as a writer director evolve. Mm-hmm. That his early work, so we're talking the producers, we're talking um, Twelve Chairs, History of the World Part One, you know those kind of early movies, like they were very intelligent and very original, mm-hmm. and they weren't necessarily even though they were spoofs on genres, um, they weren't like direct spoofs of like direct movies that he did. In his right, later the only one that was like think with I'd... Men in Tights and yeah. with Dracula. Right, and the way that I've seen it evolve is kind of in three phases. Yeah, so you had this like these early films that were mm-hmm. really really intelligent and original, and then you transitioned into these like, like iconoclast films like yeah. Young Frankenstein, and then you well, transitioned so, into Men in Tights. But Blazing which was Saddles, more direct keep in mind, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein came out before History of the World Part One. Yeah, and also I That's think to fair. your to your, to her point too, considering when. Twelve Chairs had come out. This was bef- just after producers. Uh, no, a few years. Okay, so two years before yeah. the producers. He was basically he basically did the producers, got a lot of acclaim, then kind of like like flew on that for a little mm-hmm. bit, made Twelve Chairs, and became fairly destitute. Yeah, got it. Okay, kind so of ruined his career for a second. <laughs> so by that point, Mel Brooks had made a career for himself as a sketch comedy writer. Right. On your show of shows, mm-hmm. and then I had done the producers, which was a runaway hit because it was nominated. All exactly, that shit. all it that beat stuff. Beat out Coppola, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. or not Coppola? So uh, Kubrick. Mm-hmm. I see the sidestep in that point. At the same time, though, looking at it tonally speaking, I feel like he's actually spoofing Chekhov. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that is so. It could be the first true of his spoof parodies like his style of spoofing mm-hmm. films. Maybe. This, I mean this one is directly a farce. The The mm-hmm. story that it was um, based off of was written in 1928 I think mm-hmm. by Russian writers and it that that story itself about the 12 chairs has had no less than 18 film, film adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, in Russia I'm sure. I cannot believe that. Russia and America. Oh okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's so you're right it's yeah. 1928. 
Yeah. Who was the original author? Um, Ilf and Petrov. Okay. Yeah. So two folks. So the con the story of it is is uh, there are diamonds and they are hidden in one of a set of twelve chairs. These twelve chairs have been with all like a lot of property for rich people were seized during the Russian Revolution, seized into the government, became property of the workers, you know? Of the people. Of the people, yeah. yeah. the late 20s, so yeah. we're talking some serious political Yeah, we're, we're talking like just right after the Russian Revolution. Right. People are still adjusting. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, the former owner of the chairs did not know about the diamonds until his mother on her deathbed tells him, and he's like, holy crap, I want those diamonds. And she also, um, what she tells the priest first oh yeah God. when she's t doing her last right sequence of him like running out yeah. oh my god Frank. oh god no uh dom de louise oh dom de louise with that beard oh yeah. I love so him. dom de louise is playing the priest and he he hears about the diamonds and he decides oh i want the diamonds <laughs> he shaves his beard stops being a priest and like starts running out hunting down these chairs so he's kind of got the side story going on yeah and then um ippolite who mm -hmm. was the original owner of the chairs he's like holy crap i want these chairs <laughs> Uh, and he tells his former servant, played by Mel Brooks, a slovenly drunkard, who yeah. is hilarious. So funny. Um, about the, he tries to tell him about the situation, and a con man overhears him. And this con man, played by a young Frank Langella in his first ever film role. Oh, 10 out of 10 would bang, by the way. Yeah, Roxy mm. had a total lady boner for this oh guy. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't recognize him at first. Gorgeous. Once you once Gorgeous. you realize who it is, you can see it, but yeah. then like, but yeah. he does look like a tall handsome drink of water. Tall drinker. Drinkable. Sure. And Dom DeLuise looks great, by the way, too. Yeah. He looks slender. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's holding his own. Yeah, I think these so this guys is, look great. This is also the first time that Mel Brooks worked with Dom DeLuise. Oh, that's so cool. Which, you know, started a whole that's relationship, so cool. of course. Sure. It was originally going to be played by Peter Sellers. What? But he ba he bowed out at the last minute. Get out. Oh, and no. then um, for, I think, Ippolite, uh, Mel Brooks asked Gene Wilder to do it. Aww. But he said no. He's like, I want to play Ostep, who's, you know, Frank Langella's character. Right. And Mel Brooks said, no, you can't play Ostep because he's supposed to be devilishly handsome. Oh. <laughs> Burn. And Gene Wilder's like, okay, I accept that. <laughs> but I still don't, like, if I'm not playing that character, I don't want to do I'm it. Out. But so, you know what? Ron Moody, right? Is, Ron Moody uh, did Ostep. such a great job. So great. And uh, for those of you who don't know who that is, he played Fagin in the movie adaptation of Oliver. Oh. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was also Merlin in A Kid in King Arthur's Court. Holy shit. Uh, so oh, cool. wow. Cool trivia yeah. there. <laughs> okay. I thought so, he looked familiar. That's yeah. rad. So you've got these great guys, these great actors mm -hmm. just going for it. Oh, my God. The shticks are great. They're everywhere. This yeah. movie started out really strong for me. What lost me was the sort of goose chase that they go on. And I just, my attention... I, I, I can understand why this movie was poorly received. It's it's a great film because the themes and everything are really yeah. strong. And the, and the, writing and the jokes are there. The jokes are there. The jokes are there. The gags just, are there. It it loses its pace about halfway through. Thank you. That's yeah. what it felt like. Yeah, it Absolutely. loses its pace about halfway through. Yeah. And, uh, and once it starts to get slow, you're kind of like, you don't really care as much if they find the diamonds anymore. Yeah. Um, but... I will say it gets to the point where, you know, once they do, you know, figure out that the diamonds are nowhere to be found nowhere. because they were already found by somebody else yep. who had the chair. They finally get to the last, very last oh, chair, of course. Scene. 
and um, the diamonds were used to buy chess boards and tables and chairs and all this other stuff for this uh, this clubhouse, a, a palace of culture, as they call it. It's kind of like the Russian version of the Y. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, so it was just you know it, gone ending, to the wind. Yeah. And then you know the the con man is like, well, I'm out. Like he's like, I tried all this stuff, and you you know you're you're more expensive yeah. to to keep you as a friend. You're dragging me down now. I'm gonna go move on and go off and be a con man independent like I was before. And then Ron Moody uh, pulls one last con and and ropes ropes the con man back in. So presumably they're gonna go run off and. Con all of Russia together. Epilepsy. <laughs> he has epilepsy. Like our beloved Dostoevsky. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and like, mm. wow. And yeah. then the scene of him just lying there on the ground and, you know, shaking for coins. Yeah. God, what a cool social commentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was it. So that was one of the cons that they did in order to, like, get some extra money. Yeah. Um, Ron Moody fakes having an epilepsy and, and, and the mm. con man basically uses it. He's like, please give this man coins for medical help. And da, da, da. Is it me or did Frank Langella look like a white Lando Calrissian? <laughs> a little bit. what I thought. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. He was trying to dress like it. Literally the look. Yeah. Ooh. Before you forget, I also do want to mention that there's the um, there's a scene where they fake being actors, right, to oh, to yeah. try and find one of the like some of the chairs that were being used as props on a show. Yeah. Sure. And, and he walks across the stage. Yes. He just like he's like I can like I can do this. I can pretend to be an actor. So this scene was great. And he walks out on stage, and as he's looking out into the audience, you literally see his face change to full on stage fright, and he just keeps walking. Walking right across the stage and out. And they were like, oh. No. I'm like, it was so funny. Then they get tossed off the boat, of course. Yeah. yeah. But the producer of the show was the same actor who played Carmen Ghia in The Producers. That's who I was thinking about, the Greek actor. Yeah. Oh, such an iconic, uh, iconic, like, Mel Brooks collaborator, too. Yeah. His look is just perfect. Yeah, very precise. (laughs) Very theatrical. Mm -hmm. All that, the shading, Mm -hmm. the highlighting and the contouring. Oh, that guy was all about the contouring before contouring was much of a thing. What's his, oh, I know, right. um, His name is Andreas Voutsinus. Yeah. Yeah, and he was in uh, The Producers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wasn't he also... Wasn't he also in, uh, he was Count de Money's or de Monet's. Yeah. Uh, in World History of the World. World yep. World Part yeah. So one, History yeah. of the World, uh, the fucking producers and publishers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. You ate yours. These are mine. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. One of my other favorite moments is that when he, um, when Ostip first goes back to his, uh, because the, the premise in the beginning is that he has, uh, that's how him and Mel Brooks meet, right? Mm-hmm. Is that he goes back to his old, like, palace home yeah. that he had to give up and it became an old folks home. Yeah. It's like, who, what's the main purpose of this place? Or what, what, what was what was the quote that he, he gives? Well, um, he was looking for lodging. And so he's like, you know, no, no, like, no. what do people do here? And, and mostly he, die. Mostly die. <laughs> And he's like, I'm sorry, and they're like, yeah, little old ladies. They cut, they come tiptoeing in. They have one meal of porridge, then they die. Then they die. <laughs> and when Ostip comes back, and he's like, oh, the quote he has to remember is like, I'm cousin Mama Ma. No, 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 no. And he goes, I'm cousin Cheers. And he's, he's like, yeah, going. that was pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was so and then, funny. And I love this little side. Like they know that they're competing with Dom DeLuise. Yeah. Who, in fact, throughout most of the time, seems like he's like one step ahead of them. Oh, totally. And yet he completely just he completely misses all of it too. He doesn't yeah. get to get to the chairs either. The so. gag of them or chasing the, each other. Yeah. And it's like in the like high high speed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like munchkin. And Dom Deloise was spot on too. Like he wasn't oh, in the movie so as much as I think I would have liked. Me too. But 
but the parts that he was in, he's a total scene stealer. Oh, yeah. Maybe so. that's one of the shortcomings of this film, that he really was underutilized. Maybe. Uh, but then again, maybe that was just how the, the weight of the original story is, is that sure. it's more primarily about the relationship between this con man and yeah. this formerly rich guy who's trying to find his former glory. <laughs> They're both glory chasers, you know, yeah. and yeah. in kind of different ways. Yeah. yeah. There was definitely a different pace that this movie had. Mm-hmm. And I, I will admit, I didn't get a chance to watch all of it. I got, But I got enough of a sense of it to understand the tone, the pace, and generally where it kind of ranks in the in the, the Brooks canon. Mm-hmm. So um, I do felt the comedy was very much old Brooks, very punchy, very clever, very witty. Pacing felt very much like a... I mean, it, it actually, that's why I, th- I thought it was like a spoof of Chekhov, because it mm-hmm. felt like a Chekhov pace, very... It's not as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kinetic as mm. the later Mel Brooks films sure. get. And maybe it's because there's also the way that they don't have much music in it as much. Mm. Mu- um, oh, wasn't much of a score. Wasn't much of a score. Mm. And uh, so maybe that played into it a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, maybe. And I, you know, and as, again, it's cl- probably closer to the producers, although I think the producers had a faster pace yeah. mm-hmm. than I this. Agree. Agree. Um, but, you know, this pace pacing occurrence here in 12 chairs that i think uh was a struggle you see again in life stinks yeah hmm. but unfortunately life stinks wasn't really all that funny, yeah, 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 actually, yeah no no we'll, we'll, we're gonna talk about that because i yeah. want to i want to transition over because yeah. we only have so much time uh to talk about three movies <laughs> <laughs> um so i mean all in all i like 12 chairs it's definitely not my favorite yeah um so i would I'd probably put it on a, lo- a lower rank, but I do think it's it's one that it's hard to rank with all of his more traditional satires because yeah. of the fact that it's so different. It is a very traditional farce that feels Russian, you know? So it, feel- right, it totally. feels very Russian. So it's... It just reminded me a lot of, like, the fun of silent movie and the sort of uh, creativity of the producers. That yeah. was really early Mel Brooks. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with you on that. It was kind of classic him. So let's talk about one that was a complete and utter, a complete and utter epic failure. I feel like we're talking about all the the downfalls a of little Mel bit, a little today. bit. I know. Well, yeah. we want to talk, we talked about all so many of the good ones. Yeah, but, we did, didn't we? We, yeah. we really uh, waxed poetic about our our guy here. Yeah, I, I love <laughs> it's time him. we get a little real. To be fair, mm-hmm. I really did enjoy Life Stings because I I watched it immediately after I watched uh, Twelve Chairs. Did you mm. really? I did. I watched them in chronological order. Okay. I went in reverse chronological order. You I did. Went, I went. Dracula, Life Stings, no Twelve Chairs. Kidding. So I, I didn't, I didn't rewatch Dracula because I've seen it enough times at this uh-huh. point. I didn't have time, but I watched Life Stings first because I, because I'd seen Twelve Chairs before numerous times. Okay. So wanted to make sure that I like these were all my first viewings. Yeah. So Life Stings. This is my first viewing of Life Stings. Nice. And I liked it. I had a fallen hero moment for sure. Really? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Well, it's kind of appropriate considering the theme of the film. Yeah, I mean, there you go. So <laughs> it kind of falls pretty far. So the concept of this film is that Mel Brooks is playing a very, very rich business mogul. It looks literally like President Scroob in a non-space yeah, suit. Down to, <laughs> down to the mustache. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and he has plans to... Uh, remodel. Basically demolish and remodel this... Um, Slum. This total slum. Derelict area of Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if those of you are familiar with the Tenderloin in San Francisco, you're not that far off. Or Baskin of San Jose. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, 
So this this terrible area, he and um, this guy, Jeffrey Tambor, Mm -hmm. comes in and says, you know, this is, you know, I grew up in this neighborhood. I was totally poor. And he's like, and I want to make it better, too. But let's like, let's have a bet here. He's like, if you he basically tricks Mel Brooks into into betting that Mel Brooks can't like if if he can last 30 days living on the street without any of his resources um, that that he would give up his his half and his ownership to this, you know, slum. Um, but if Mel Brooks can't last 30 days, then he has to give up his half of the slum. And then, you know, winner takes all, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's basically Mel Brooks living as a homeless person, like a rich person becoming a pauper and having to live as a homeless person, making friends with homeless people, having some minor hijinks and then trying to win the day. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then so there's some bits that are that are somewhat funny from that, but I never I mean, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't laugh watching that movie once. Mm. And that, that depressed me a little bit because I yeah. wanted to. Um well, I I do think there were a lot of traditional Brooks bits happening throughout the film totally. that, yeah. that saved it. Like for example, in the the opening boardroom scene when he's showing off the new model, mm-hmm. right. and it like crashes on top of yeah. the old one, and then he's standing in front of it where the tower is, and it's totally the phallic well, yeah, and he's and he's talking, he, yeah, he's like making it seem like it's his erection, and he's yeah. like, and it is. So that's so like good. that's. And then the corn but, on the guy's head when they're in yes. the dining hall at the it's like the moving mole. The moving mole. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so I mean, I understand, like, yeah, him him making an erection joke <laughs> is very like, but that's like the lowbrow melt. So he's got he, sure. th- what makes Mel Brooks such a genius is that he is able to mix lowbrow and highbrow, yeah. and and move really fast between mm-hmm. the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There. It was basically like taking He's such a mensch. It was basically like taking lowbrow humor yeah. and then this highbrow more dramatic serious message. Definitely. And trying to mash them together and it didn't feel right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I agree with that. That's I think is where it kind of didn't work. And mm-hmm. I agree. There's the sticky humor, which I think he tried to lean more on because of space balls. Yeah. Uh that didn't it just didn't fit the tone of of the film? You at know all. what saved it though? His relationship with Molly. So Leslie Ann Warren, the so she and yeah. I thought she was. Mm-hmm. Good. I will yeah. say the through line with her once her it became kind of her story because mm-hmm. he does the rest of the movie, but the, the the plot is driven by his relationship with her for the like mm-hmm. the whole second half. So let's right? let real quick Leslie Ann Warren because this one's not as popular and harder to find for a lot of people. Um, Leslie Ann Warren plays this homeless woman. Um, who he kind of stumbles upon as he's like getting robbed of his shoes yeah. and she chases off the the two other homeless robbers right. um, and gives him a new pair of shoes and then it's like fine, you know, like can tell yeah. that he has no idea what the hell Go he's sit doing. in the den. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> do you want me to sit right there? You're in the den, You're sit in down. The den. Sit down. <laughs> um, and he uh, and you know she takes him to find him where he can go get free food and all mm-hmm. this. So she kind of starts to show him the ropes hooks him up with other, you know, friends and they kind of like create a little crew. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and become really affectionate with each other. But it's so and then he eventually, you know, falls in love with her and, you know, wants to take her back basically to his rich person's life. They have a song and dance number. And I, mean, I thought that was so 
I th- it was interesting because it reminded me of a silent movie. Yeah. Where you know he has the the number, but it it fit in silent movie because it fit the genre. It didn't yeah, fit here. <laughs> but it led into one of the best gags of the entire fucking movie when he's trying to undress her. And it's just layers and layers yeah. and layers of clothes. Mm-hmm. She's like, great. take me. I'm ready. It's like, I'm ready too. I'm, I, I'm almost there. And it's just unzipping and unbuttoning and unzipping and ripping open. And it takes like five minutes. And yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And that was good. I think the thing that really, maybe the stuff that really didn't make you, it was hard to really digest was there were moments that were genuinely dramatic genuinely mm-hmm. like for example uh spoilers everybody but so there's this scene where the the robbers burn down leslie ann warren's she calls home. it her turf but basically yeah. her home her home area it's all boxes and basically her and jeffrey tambor being this kind of yeah. you know wealthy villain right he because it's the part that he owns that, that um mel brooks is is staying in he sees too that the mission where he goes to get food one night is closed up so there's mm-hmm. a bunch of people who are rain where it's raining mm-hmm. and it's cold and people can't get a bite to eat and ultimately because of that one of the characters dies oh, because yeah. he couldn't stomach out a night out in the storm like, the is there an 11 on my neck yeah <laughs> yeah and actually and i i the look on mel brooks's face when he is seeing them take his friend away yeah like that was one of the most beautiful moments of acting I've ever seen from Mel Brooks like a truly genuine dramatic moment of acting mm-hmm. yeah. and it and it makes me so sad to see that in this film because it mm. didn't fit mm-hmm. the rest of the film like the film didn't know how to properly balance the the seriousness the the drama the melodrama the the actual like I mean this is people like people really live this way yeah and it was hard because at some points there were genuine moments where you could, uh, you know, see these homeless people as real people and other parts where they were just stereotypes. Yeah. And, um, and recycled characters from other movies, too. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it kind of it was just really hard to it was it was a hard balance. And so I, I just felt yeah. like it kind of tanked. In Every that time there was a wedding scene, <laughs> the Spanish interpreter. Oh, my God. <laughs> That was really funny. That was so good. The part where he was like very dramatically trying to explain what a honeymoon was. Right. <laughs> just like dry humping. And he just starts humping the air like crazy. That was pretty funny. I didn't funny. say that. That was pretty yeah. funny. I, I, you know, Sarah, I think I, I'm, I'm seeing more clearly now what kind of like the point is about how this movie had a lot more shortcoming, short, shortcomings mm-hmm. than it did have uh, la- lasting moments in the Mel Brooks story canon that we think mm-hmm. about. Sure. Um, because it was kind of a confused film. Mm-hmm. I think it was a great social commentary piece from the brain of Mel Brooks where he wanted to... And he did that with 12 Chairs, too. Mm-hmm. It's all about materialism and yeah. you know how that really does not make the man. I mean, that's really what it is, is that Mel Brooks is a very socially conscious and brilliant person. Sure. We saw that in Blazing Saddles. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we transition it into something as goofy and redonkulous as Dracula doesn't loving it, and you forget about all that. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Well, and like... Because honestly, I feel like Dracula doesn't loving it was him... I mean... When you go because Afterlife Stinks was uh, Men in Tights, right? And he got his glory back because he was like, "Shit, me doing something, me breaking away from now what I've now become known for, mm-hmm. which is all these spoof films, 
I can't necessarily do a sidestep. That may not be the best for my Isn't career. That interesting? And then he went back to doing spoof. That is so his pattern because he did uh, 12 chairs and that fell flat. And then what? Yank, Young Frankenstein came up after? Uh, Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. yeah. So year, Young yeah. Frankenstein effectually saved his career then. Mm-hmm. And then Life Stinks happens and Robin Hood Men in Tights brings him back up. Yep. And then Dracula happens and then who knows? Well, and and Dracula Done Loving It is was almost a, the same tone as Men in Tights, right. um, which is also the same tone as Spaceballs. So I kind of lump Spaceballs, Men in Tights, and Dracula Done Loving It into this sort of like second half of his spoof sure. career where right. I actually feel like those three, um, as much as I do enjoy them, and don't get me wrong, I do enjoy Spaceballs, Men in Tights, and Dracula Done Loving It to a certain extent, but like those three are not nearly as strong spoof clever films. <laughs> As the others, they're more. The they're, they rely much more on the slapstick. Yeah, yeah. spaceballs is probably the smartest of the three. Of those three, probably yeah. Yeah, uh, the thing about Men in Tights too is that Men in Tights wasn't even originally his idea, hmm. whereas all these other ones were kind of. I mean, I don't know about Dracula, but a lot of these were his own babies. Mm-hmm. Men in Tights was a concept that was pitched, and he had gotten a script that was already written that mm-hmm. he heavily rewrote himself to make into. It, it was the response that Fox was going to make to Robin Hood and Prince of Thieves. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, that wasn't, and again, that was that was given the idea to the writer who pitched it, who Fox bought and then pitched it to Timing Mel Brooks. Timing is everything with that. Yeah. Dracula Absolutely. was Mel Brooks' answer to Bella Lugosi. Yeah. Well, in, in well, a way. A, and to, yeah, and to was, Bram Stoker. It, so was, to, it was more of a direct response to the Keanu Reeves, yeah, Gary Oldman Dracula. Yeah. yeah, the Bram Stoker's Dracula I mean, in the 90s. Two years later, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Bram Stoker's was 92? Uh, 93, I think. Yeah. And yeah. Then, then oh, my Dracula God. Dead Love and it's 95. With Keanu Reeves' terrible accent. Blue World's chasing me through some inferno. <laughs> um, okay, so let's... All right, can I say one thing that was awesome about Dracula Dead and Loving It yeah. is that it was finally getting the king of all spoof directors... To work with the the prince of spoof acting, with Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. Like, Leslie Nielsen forever. I was like so happy to see the two of them finally work together. Yeah, true. No, absolutely. Yeah, and <laughs> so it's it's a shame great. that it took that long to to happen, but it did. And um, it's just, it's interesting because even though yes, it's the response to the Bram Stoker's Dracula of '93. The script format and, and plotline it follows is almost identical to the Bela Lugosi yep. 30, 31 Dracula script. Uh, so, I mean, th- that's the, very much how, like, Men in Tights was more of a, actually borrows more from the original yeah. Olivia de Havilland so and, uh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Errol Flynn, mm-hmm. uh, Robin Hood. Yeah. So, it's he's playing off of the classics he grew up with, with, yeah. with that, too. Um, this movie... Also has a brilliant cameo by his wife. And Bancroft. Oh, Bancroft. As the gypsy woman. Rest in peace. Yes. <laughs> and drinks of their blood. <laughs> Thank she... you. Yeah. They may take the cross. It'll be 15 Kovacs. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. So freaking good. Can I tell you, though, that I think that Peter McNichol that, steals the that's show? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, Peter McNichol good. as Thomas uh, Renfield. Oh my god, his Master. his reaction when those like wi- like the women sneak into his room and oh, everything yeah. like that. Good lord, <laughs> what are you doing to the furniture? 
And then when they're floating in and floating out, yeah. and then Dracula's like, stop it. And they just walk away. <laughs> they trudge away <laughs> out of the room, <laughs> totally. I, I always thought it was really funny, though, for like my childhood context of this movie, because when this movie came out, Wings was on TV. Oh, shit. And so for me, Steven Weber and Amy Yazbek, were, I was just like conflicting with their characters from Wings. Uh. <laughs> was it, what's the line that, that the undead... Um, so there's Lucy? Um, Lucy. Nina and Lucy. Yeah, the undead Lucy was like, I want to show you like this, you no, know, like what unbridled passion. Yeah. But Lucy, I'm British. So are these. <laughs> yeah. She whips out her boobs. Yeah. Right. And of course, the famous, she's dead. No, she's alive. No, she is Nosferatu. She's Italian. <laughs> Everybody has to put the stake. Oh my there. god, the <laughs> grotesque amount of blood. Wait! Wait, get by the room. <laughs> now! <laughs> but, Reservant how is it? He's covered in blood and there's not a drop on you. Please. Not the sword. I've been to many stakings. It is all location, location, location. What does he say? He's like, uh, she's only, she's mostly dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this is ghastly. I agree. We should have put newspapers out. <laughs> <laughs> Those moments made the film totally successful. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, it was just a shit show. <laughs> I mean, it lost me, man. It I, has, I, yeah, it's just, it's silly. It's yeah. so silly. Super duper duper. Like yeah. the hospital scene when you introduced to Mel Brooks, his character, he was uh, Van Helsing, right? Yeah, yeah. The last doctor standing, yeah? <laughs> oh, right. All passing out. Totally. <laughs> Fun fact, Dom DeLuise's son yeah. has made a cameo. He's yeah. one of the doctors. That's he awesome. was also in Men in Tights, too. He mm-hmm. was one of the yeah. one of the merry men, yeah. Right. It's so funny totally. they're all passing out. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just butchering the corpse. Right. No, I, that's one of the best scenes. And nobody left standing. And, like, you can kind of tell there's that tiny little look. And it's like, damn it, there's one left. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So th- it's well, definitely it's one of those things where it's them playing. Right. Yeah. Very clearly, everybody is there and there. I mean, Harvey Corman being brought back yeah. for this movie. Amy too. Yazbek using the same accent she uses Maid Marian yeah. in Robin Hood. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is very like Queen's English RP. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm so happy to be at the opera. <laughs> yeah. Okay, happy to, oh, you know? And Megan Cavanaugh bringing, coming back to his Essie. Oh, yeah. Oh, Essie. so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when he's trying to guide uh, Mina out of the terrace. Yes. <laughs> she just keeps, she, you are in the closet. Yeah. Watch out for the foot. No, there's definitely like when the bits are there, they work. Yeah, yeah they and do. you can tell that everyone knows how to play them. <laughs> You're falling asleep too soon. <laughs> right. He's the only bit that I never really Renfield. got was funny was that do you when they like do you have this? No. Do you have this? No. Do you have Nosferatu? Yes, we have Nosferatu. <laughs> we have Nosferatu today. <laughs> I could tell that that was supposed to be a callback to something, but I couldn't tell mm. what it was supposed to be from. Mm. I don't know. It, just, it felt so out of un, out of yeah context for the characters it felt like it had to be a bit from something that I just I I guess. sure yeah. and then you have the scene when they're on the ship and the coffin just keeps flying yeah, back right. and forth <laughs> 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 you just hear him in the coffin right Fuck, Dustin Nielsen was so good. He was actually, I oh. loved him in this movie. I thought he was, like, pretty freaking brilliant. <laughs> Again, even though, like, this is maybe not the strongest of the spoof no. movies, I thought he was really good. Yeah, he was great. Because he, he does that Leslie Nielsen deadpan thing where yeah. he's just, like, 
he tries to play everything pretty damn seriously with the exception of like a few, you know, rolling his eyes reactions and mm-hmm. stuff like that, which are a little bit more heavily exaggerated. Yeah. But <laughs> everything else is played straight. Well, I mean, yeah. and that is in fact why he was hired for Police Squad, right? Yeah. Is because he was such a good dramatic well, actor. Or right. Airplane. And Airplane, More too. specifically yeah. Airplane, yeah. 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 yeah exactly. And then he's a flying bat who slams into the window. Who, right. very much... <laughs> so, it's funny because I thought about... Have you guys seen what we do in the shadows at all? I told you all about yes, that yeah, shit, yes. dude. I so, introduced it to the show. I love how the, the character who is the most, like, Vlad, mm-hmm. uh, we'll just say that... Um, Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> in that movie, is that when he, he had a bad breakup and because... Of that when he transmogrifies into like different animals, he can never get the faces right. Yeah. Yeah. So they show him as like a cat, and it's a cat, but it's still got a human face. Yeah. The ears. Yeah. So seeing, and they're they're clearly borrowing from Total this because Dracula's got just like the human head with the big bat ears. Yeah. On, and I was like, well, first off, good makeup job oh to get God. the ears on. Totally. But I think they're also. I think was that them making fun of the fact that when the Gary Oldman Dracula became a wolf or a bat, that he was this half-human kind of creature yes. that was in between. Yes. But, you totally. know, I don't think what they do in the shadows could have existed without, I mean, for one thing, Christopher Guest, but without Dracula Dead and Love. Oh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. this one was weird, too, because it there are moments where it does feel like a horror movie. Like, it does feel like a vampire movie. <laughs> I must have hit a vein <laughs> yeah. in his paper. Like it's, a, like, bleeding all yeah. over him. <laughs> and, the, like, the score, like, like for example, when he's, like, when he's taking blood from Lucy for the first time, it is a little scary. Oh. And then all of a sudden you hear the... The sipping from the, the straws. straws. <laughs> you know? So fucking funny. Yeah. I um, don't know. The one scene that I probably think I could have... I don't know, that I just never really, like, cared about or probably could have done without was the dancing scene. Oh, yeah, that kind of fell flat. Yeah. yeah. With, with the you know to show him in the mirror like oh my god but yeah. then again you need the reveal right that just felt like yeah. it is kind of funny it was, when he's throwing around and she looks like she's flying oh, yeah but, it just it didn't feel like super that jokey com- to me I guess I don't know I was just kind of like compared though mm. to the scene of him in the park after he feels like he's invincible yeah and he goes to the picnickers and he gets a chicken wing and some what was it like wine or coke mm-hmm. uh-huh. wine, yeah. yeah. and then he's like I'm invincible and then <laughs> Renfield's like no you're not and he's just like burning up <laughs> right like yeah that was great that, that scene was really good yeah yeah and of course the running gag of give him an enema <laughs> oh give him an enema no no put him in a straitjacket and put him in, and then give him an enema no no no, no. give him a straitjacket then put yeah who's it he said give uh put him in a straitjacket and give him an enema or then no 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 give him an enema, give an enema then put him in a straitjacket you know what that reminds me of in uh life stinks the running gag of them in the mental hospital of more thorazine oh, oh right yeah, yeah, yeah cc's sure. of thorazine this no, man's been over medicated no, 500 500 milligrams yeah. of 3c 500 milligrams of th- yeah 500 milligrams of Thorazine and he comes back again and give this man 500 milligrams of Thorazine and then he comes back this man's been over medicated how does this happen how does this right. happen right. yeah so you have these like doctor characters just totally going on these, yeah I, I love how Mel Brooks just like that's one of his uh, classic gags too mm-hmm. any medical sort of mishap yeah sure yeah sure yeah. And, and he's like he's just the master of callbacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is the master of callbacks. The fact that he can even do callbacks back to his previous movies, even of yeah. like, it's good to be the king. Oh, sure. You know, like, sure. that, like he's, he's, well, and he's also like, I've talked, I did an entire blog post on this where he also sometimes recycles gags, but it's like, yeah. is it a recycle or is it a callback? Hmm. Yeah. You know what? I feel like, 
at the time he probably was recycling it, but because he has uh, later on, we can consider it recycle or callbacks. Yeah, because we know how iconic his films are. I don't think yeah. at the time he figured yeah. how iconic. Well, it depends. So, like, if you look at Men in Tights, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. the scene where the camera crashes through the window. Mm-hmm. That is a same joke that he used in High Anxiety. Yeah, and High Anxiety was the first place that he did that because of the fact that they were directly spoofing. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock doing like oh, these yeah. dramatic zooms, right, right, and like zooming in so far that it crashes into the like plate glass <laughs> right. window. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so was that a callback or was that just a recycled <gasps> you gag? Know, they did it in uh, in Dracula when he goes through the spider web. And then Renfield doesn't go through the spider web. He fucking gets wrapped up in that shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that was kind of a callback in a way. I don't know, but I think I you're think right. that, no, I think that was just a straight guy because yeah. yeah. specifically it was like making a joke about the camera crashing through, not like a well, not yeah. an actor. Uh, what, yeah, what I yeah, find fascinating is that how Mel Brooks builds his ensembles in each of his films, and seeing how Dracula was his last attempt at doing this, mm-hmm. where he pulls his talent from, because Stephen Weber had no prior experience with the, with the Mel Brooks films but then him as Harker is really great it's interesting because he was also the guy who took over for Matthew Broderick in the producers on Broadway yeah too so it's interesting to see how he kind of builds these relationships you know my with first actors. exposure to Stephen Weber was uh the remaking of The Shining oh, oh really sure. I'll yeah. see that yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the yeah he time. played uh the Jack Nicholson character yeah he, he played Jack Jack yeah, yeah. um <laughs> That's and, so interesting. But not just that, but like seeing Amy Yazbek, like you talked about, yeah. but also using smaller characters. Again, Dom DeLuise's son, whose name mm-hmm. um, escapes me. Um, Dom Jr. Or Essie. <laughs> right. But yet, yeah, calling back people like Harvey Corman, I was actually really surprised. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. I love that Anne Bancroft was in there. I'm really surprised he didn't call up Cloris Leachman because she would have been yeah. perfect in that cameo yeah. as the old woman in that scene, too. So yeah. it just it fascinates me what goes through his head when he's assembling the cast and did he approach Cloris Leachman and she mm-hmm. said no she wasn't interested mm. or maybe it was or just, how that works I mean, maybe it was also just an opportunity to give Anne Brancroft something to do too yeah. because like I mean she's so classic and she's so hilarious yeah. like why not put her in something and she's so used that. to doing dramatic work too that yeah. to give her a chance to do comedy is well, really well I mean really, like that's the yeah. fun part that that's why I love the relationship so much is because the times when you can get her in doing a comedy like you just see how brilliant she is and how yeah. much she how flexible she is and how much Fun she has working with her husband. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean to call back to twelve, like to talk about twelve chairs again. Mm-hmm. The original song that Mel Brooks wrote, which plays over the intro credits, he wrote that song with basically like at the encouragement of Anne Bancroft. She said she's like, I, you should really write this song, and yeah. like write and like was encouraging him and helping him write the song the whole time. I think it's really touching and really fitting that his last sort of hurrah had her in it like the way that yeah. she was I sure. feel like Dracula was kind of his swan song you know well keep in mind that I mean even like, though it the, makes you sad yeah <laughs> I mean even though Mel Brooks is in his 90s now I mean he he's still a sharp guy he's mm-hmm. still working he's still doing stuff he just he's moved on to theater like yeah. he I don't think he's going to do another film well, he has a lot of voice acting he does a lot of voice acting mm-hmm. he's done voice acting since that period of time but he I think he feels like his three biggest films He's brought two of them to the stage, and we we know that he's working on getting Blazing Saddles done. Mm. So I feel like that's going to be like, if you're going to talk about the magnum opus, like mm-hmm. the final yeah. the way to go out on, that's probably going to be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but of the films, though, of the films, of course, sure, sure. Like, um, why did he stop after Dracula? 
I mean, I think it's one because he was trying to focus on bringing the producers to the stage, mm. and it took. I think it took like five years it took to seven, get. I think. Yeah, yeah, even. yeah. So I, think, I mean, also, um, the death of his wife hit him pretty hard too. That's true. She died in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is and right around when the producers' movie came out. So right, and then Dracula's ninety five. Yeah. So I think it mm. just he just moved away from it for. I think he was burned out. I mean, I just maybe he also just didn't have anything left to, to, yeah. to say, you know, and that's Possibly. that's totally okay. And honestly, like a lot of people would like to yeah. stop early, then completely burn out and make shitty work, you know. That's so true. like, yeah. that's true. So you might as well just, you know, he started in the theater. He might as well end in the theater. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you sure. Think about it, how his career trajectory went, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Also. He, Guy's got a fuck ton of money. Ha! <laughs> Maybe he was yeah. like, "I'm cool." <laughs> <laughs> and his producing credits are so incredible. Yeah, right? he cre- absolutely. He produced some incredible work. So mm-hmm. there's always that. I love talking about the span of his career because God, he's done so much. He's in, done in, so much. He's 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 a Hollywood icon if there ever was one. Right. Sure. And yeah. I yeah, I also agree that I appreciate that you know he's knowing when to when to step back. You know, yeah. like Quentin Tarantino is doing the same thing. He said he's going to make ten movies Isn't and then he's going to and he's going to st- take a step back. Smith has said he was going to do that. He he should have. Who's that? Who is Kevin Smith? Kevin. Um, oh. He should have. He should have retired when he said he was going to retire. Oh well, no. I mean, Yoga Hosers was was weird. Um, I'll admit that, uh, but I think I, everyone admits that that was a weird movie. Still don't want to fucking talk about Tusk. Oh. I have Yoga Hosers sitting in my queue. I still haven't seen Tusk. Yeah. I, like Red State was okay. I actually I just, bought a movie ticket to see Tusk. He's. I think what's interesting is he's hitting his experimental phase in middle age versus his experimental phase when he's trying to figure out who his voice is. Yeah. So it was very interesting. I read an article where they were just basically like, it's like. It's like Kevin Smith is going to film school in front of everybody. (laughs) There's that. But the thing is, you know, I'm very reluctant. And I know we're going on a complete tangent. We're comparing comedy auteurs. So I guess there's some relevance there. I mean, Kevin Smith, he's also the most vocal of any of the comedy of any of the filmmakers out there. So people can write articles about him. That's great. But at the same time, if you want to know the man, listen to his volumes of information that he shares about himself. Oh my god. To understand who he is. Because you know? if you want to if you want to listen to Kevin Smith talk about himself, trust me, he'll do it. Mm-hmm. That's why that's I've, really why I had to stop listening to his podcast. I follow him <laughs> yeah. on Instagram and he will write some well, novels. And, and I, it's sad that I think that happened because he there's there was a a point in time where he was doing it. He's kind of drifted away from that now. Mm-hmm. Um particularly Hollywood Hollywood Babylon is great because he he can't because there's a definite format. It was like you're moving along. Same thing yeah. with Batman on Batman. Uh-huh. Now we're really drifting. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Um, one thing I also wanted to mention about Mel Brooks, though, is I recently saw him on a late night show. I think it was either uh, Jimmy Kimmel. No, it wasn't Kimmel. It was uh, who's the other Jimmy? Fallon. Uh, yeah, I think it was on Fallon. Um, yeah, it was, it was Fallon. Um, and this was maybe last month when he was promoting one of his uh, one-man shows that he was oh, okay. doing in New York. Nice. And I th- I'm pretty sure it's on HBO or not. It might have been. Because I think he like wrote a, he wrote a book, didn't mm-hmm. he? Mel Brooks. Um, and the one-man show was kind of a direct um, okay. uh, connection to that. And just how he spoke about, um, you know, how things, his, his, 
his life in general, you know, childhood to now and everything. Um, I, I really love how well-spoken and, and, and sharp he still is. Mm-hmm. He's so old now. And just to think of like us ever losing him in the foreseeable future, Ugh. it makes me really just sad I, because he still I has need so to, much in him. I need to get through 2016 because, sorry, <laughs> peeling back the curtain, we are recording this mid-December. I know. But I need to get through the rest of 2016 with Mel Brooks intact. Like, hey. I, we lost too many good people. You know what? If Kirk Douglas can live to 100, anything is possible. Bob Hope lived to 100. There George Burns lived past 100. There you fucking go. So. Yeah, a lot of celebrities didn't make it past 70 this year. And yeah. Mel Brooks has, he passed that 20 years ago. Well yeah, into so, his 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so. He's good there. It just yeah. it's it's like him and Stanley. It's just like you know, look. Oh my God, him just and keep him healthy. Keep, keep going. Keep, keep going. Keep healthy. Keep him healthy. I just I just I want him and Stanley to just be like, uh, like I don't preserved somehow. Can we yeah. just like them. give them like cryogenic like Can Futurama? We go to Futurama like, that we just put their heads in jars. We just put their heads in jars and just pray for the best. Oh my god! Oh shit! I know. I I turned us into a dark corner, but I'm just I'm sad. You know, I saw him. He, he looked so small and 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 frail and. Still so sharp as attack, though. Yeah, you know? but like I feel like he's a lot, like because I've listened to him do like give talks and like do interviews and stuff yeah. like that, and I feel like he is, like he's sharper than Stan Lee. Totally, totally. Stan Lee's fading. He's anybody, fading. anybody else? Like I know a lot of people like to think that like Stan, like Stan Lee is like totally like he's <laughs> he's still like super on it. Stan Lee has so much energy. <laughs> But he's he's losing a little. I mean, he's bit. slowing down. He's not making. He's got a little cognitive uh, decline. Yeah, mm-hmm. and which is normal. Yeah, totally normal. Yeah. But I'm just like, oh, I feel like Mel Brooks is lasting a little bit lo- longer yeah. cognitively. Because you know what? I think Mel Brooks has laughed a lot more than Stanley. Sure, he's laughed a lot more. And he's... there's something about humor and what it does to the brain. Yeah, well, that's just that. I think there's longevity. that. I'm I'm impressed that he. He's not a technophobe. I mean, the man has an iPhone that he knows how to use, and he's mm-hmm. in his 90s. Not that I'd say I don't know if Stanley does or not, but he also still reads mm-hmm. constantly. Yep. He's and I think that's the best thing it's to keep your, your that brain and he, sharp. And he stays alert. He has a very busy life. He mm-hmm. has, I mean, he has a schedule and a routine. A schedule, but, but <laughs> schedule. <laughs> but he like, like. You know, like we've talked about this before, he is like best buds with Carl Reiner, yeah. And the two of them literally get together and, and have dinner every day, pretty much. And <laughs> Carl and, and Mel, and they talk to each other constantly. And that, like, engagement and conversation mm-hmm. and all that other stuff, again, so good for the mental health. Super, super. So, good. like, it's when you yeah. stop talking to people and you like lock yourself away and get abandoned, and then your brain starts to deteriorate too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I've heard there's also been a link between um, there's been a link between loss of hearing. And Alzheimer's now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I mean, maybe Mel Brooks has had very good hearing. I don't know. If, I don't want to say like lump dementia in with Alzheimer's because they're very different, two different yeah. situations too. But um, interesting. Yeah. I wonder well, if that's a correlation or causation sort of thing. I don't know. It could be. It could be. Yeah, a, have to, like, it's too early to know yeah. at this point. Yeah. But I agree. I think keeping him routine, keeping the routine going is what will. Hopefully, have him around for several more years. I just yeah. want him to, to do more, you know. Totally. I, you I know, want you to do more. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of okay with him not doing more than yeah. whatever stage work he wants to do. Like, it's when he's earned it's, it. He's the, earned it. The people like forcing you to do stuff. That's when you start generating crap. This is true. <laughs> so, 
And I'm I'm also okay with us ending Mel Brooks' career on this note. You yeah. know, I feel like this is we've covered so much about this man and his legacy mm-hmm. and his his art and his work yeah. and his craft. I mean, like, like I won't stop celebrating Mel Brooks' career. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I know, right? But uh, yeah, no. I think uh, it's been really fun to to talk about him with y'all. Mm-hmm. It's just been so exciting yep. and all the gags that we've laughed about like Mm -hmm. i love the fact that this man is responsible for so much happiness and so much excitement and love for comedic movies yeah you know Mm -hmm. he he has made the craft what it is Mm -hmm. i think he's one of the forefathers Mm -hmm. of what legitimizes comedic films for sure sure totally agree yep shall we get into feedback i think we shall do it listener feedback yeah uh, we're going to read a couple of the more recent ones, guys. So if we missed yours, uh, apologies. Ellie. Um, Ellie, we... We talked about Ellie. Yeah, she was. She mentioned in a recent feedback that she was disappointed we didn't read her letters. Sorry, we just... Yeah. We're, we're well, trying she to keep... left us some nerds on films that we haven't talked about. Yeah, yeah that's there's, true. There's um, one... First one I think is well, it's more for you guys to address, too, is that uh, Hillary talking about racism and sexism in old movies. Cause <gasps> oh, yeah. It was in response to... Uh, my comment about uh, The Mummy when we were talking about oh. the soft open. Okay. Uh, all right. So um, this one is from Hillary. It's a subject for NOF, sexism, and racism in old movies. By the way, really helpful to have for NOF or for NOH in the subject line, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, message. Hey, nerds. I was listening to your Willie's Reserve episode and your comments about Boris. <laughs> that was a great one. <laughs> about uh, Boris Karloff's The Mummy got me thinking. I was a really big fan of older movies, and then I moved and lost my regular access to TCM. My taste changed, and I've grown, but I still have fond memories of those stories. But now when I go back and rewatch them, I'm constantly picking out the racism and sexism. I grew up in a rural area and very sheltered, so I didn't catch it then, but I know better now. So my qu- main question is this. What do you do when your old favorites make you uncomfortable? Is there a way a rom-com like How to Steal a Million can be funny, but still denounce that Peter O'Toole's character essentially forces himself on Audrey Hepburn multiple times in the movie. This is the most re- recent example I've watched. Uh, is there a way to continue enjoying movies from that era um, where, to quote Sean, everyone's, everyone was terrible people, <laughs> while acknowledging the socially acceptable racism and sexism that was present when those movies were made? I keep pulling up films and have been met with a lot of disappointment. Thank you for any thoughts or advice you have. Hillary. Sounds like we have a nerd who's going through a little bit of a, of a film love crisis right yeah. now. Yeah. My immediate thought is uh, Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, and... for a more recent movie, um, Blade Runner, the, se- yeah. the scene with um, Harrison Ford forcing himself on the replicant. Like, right. I, it, there's so yeah. much that... Especially when you're talking about racism, sexism, uh, blurred lines of con- of consent, mm-hmm. um, it, you know it's it is hard, but at the same time you can. I always just kind of like recognize that I don't have to necessarily denounce the whole movie, but I can denounce certain scenes. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Um, certain portrayals. Um, totally. You know, uh, uh, Peter Sellers in. Um, oh my God. What is that movie? Not Clue. The other one. Mm. The other murder mystery. Murder by Death. Murder by Death. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Ooh, good one. We reviewed yeah. it, actually. Yeah. 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 There are definitely certain times where it's it's hard and it's um, it's very easy to get angry about a lot of this stuff. And I think it's important to to recognize it, call it out, understand it. And if you want to share these movies with younger people in your family or whatever 
to be prepared to have the conversations about it. Yeah. Um, and and understand that, generally speaking, most of the time, and I'm not saying this is for all the time, most of the time you can tell that the, the underlying stories are still of value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I... I if I can yeah. piggyback off of that, I agree with most of what what you're saying, if not not all of what you're saying, um, completely. I think my, my take on it is that you have to acknowledge that a work is a product of its time. That's always going to be the case, whether it whether you, and it's important to acknowledge what is offensive about that content because to show that we have moved forward yeah. from mm-hmm. that point in time. It absolutely the zeitgeist mm-hmm. exactly. So. To not do that is being complacent, and we shouldn't do that either. Um, but, you know, also to consider, too, that the people when they were making this movie didn't think or intend to be offensive either. So you have to kind of give the filmmakers, I think, the benefit of the doubt in that regard. Without forgiving or condoning what they've done, assume that they didn't mean to say, well, we're going to make this because it's, it's, it's funny I don't know where it's well, going. Yeah, they're not going to be like, somebody. ooh, rape is funny. They just think, oh, this power dynamic between men and women ooh. is funny. And then what happened in Last Tango in Paris with the right. recent news of that came out about how sure. that yeah. scene, the actress was totally blindsided. Was actually, was actually raped. And yeah. she was literally, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. director and, and, and Brando, they conspired. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that's, that's a very different situation. And I, and I, I don't think that that should have been condoned uh, at all that so i mean that's also taking that's an extreme extreme example but yeah yeah, yeah. no it absolutely is and that's also just a director who's fucking nuts because Mm -hmm. you shouldn't need to blindside an actor the day of the shoot to create that drama you should trust that your actors good enough can can you also make the argument that you shouldn't need to make stereotypes comedy or yes but you have to understand that coming from a certain place in time stereotypes were heavily relied on yeah the, the art art form has grown sure. i think there i think there is a difference when we're talking about a completely non-consensual situation with an actress versus actors consenting to play into stereotype sexism racism like with that's black portrayed. face or yellow face that's portrayed like that. so yeah. like so oh you know a female actress who signs up for a for a movie like where you know Audrey Hepburn willing to play a character who has a man force himself upon her several times, you know, I'm not saying that those stories are okay. I I do I'm just clarifying that I think those are two different situations. Yeah, yeah. and and neither are right. <laughs> what, what I also neither are right. Yeah. And, going and, into the really interesting underbelly of the yeah. sort of artistic yeah. process in Hollywood. And yeah. I think what it comes down to is that white men are oblivious. Mm. Like I don't think Wow, Brian, thank you for like saying that as a white male yourself. I really actually respect you for, for yeah, kind of, like, I don't think white men in, into that. intend to make things that are sexist mm. or, or racist or any of these things. It's just they don't know better and until they're called out on it, they won't mm. change. Mm. You know, and and this is this is why Get we some. have to be so grateful for the level of I mean for this basically like revival of the civil rights movement. That's right. what we're in right now. Yeah. Anybody who says otherwise is a dipshit. Go check out the Thirteenth. It's a great documentary oh my on God, Netflix. It's a great documentary. So mm-hmm. if but looking at this revival of civil rights and not just not just for women, not just for black people, but for all kinds of marginalized yeah. people, right? People have so much more of a voice now because of social media and. These things are starting to change. 
you can literally it's actually out there right now jezebel just reposted it there is a an email dialogue between tilda swinton and margaret cho out there right now about tilda swinton's portrayal of the ancient one in doctor strange oh yeah i read those it's really great really fascinating i'm i'm not citing either which way i'm just saying it's really fascinating to to read and i Mm -hmm. really think that it, these dialogues we have to celebrate where we are now mm-hmm. recognize where we came from yeah and and understand that you know we don't have to we don't have to hate the art form because it did some bad things in the past we just need to learn from it and grow from it and continue to have the dialogue yeah and i and i agree with what you said as the essential Part of it is recognize that the core story is still has something of value to it. It could, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes if the major plot point is something ho- wholly racist or whatever, like it, Birth of a Nation, yeah, like like then we don't like or Song of the South or something like that. Like we don't have to, you don't have to celebrate these things. If it makes you angry, don't watch it. Mm-hmm. I mean, movies are out there to be escapism and and to teach us things and to talk about truths and all this other stuff and. And if you are upset, then don't watch it. <laughs> you know, that's totally okay. And more power to you. Um, but if you are just feeling guilty because you enjoy a film, but it has some elements that you disagree with, just talk about the things that you disagree with, but then also talk about the things that you like. And, and just kind of, like, I, I like the movie McClintock. It's a John Wayne movie, right? There is some heavy-handed sexism in that movie. He literally spanks his wife in that movie. Yeah. And there are some blatant stereotypes in that movie. Mm -hmm. But I sit there and I say, you know what? I'm recognizing it. I'm not laughing at the stereotypes. I'm not laughing at the spanking and assault. But I'm laughing at these other jokes. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm laughing at this major storyline and... And I understand that this is a product of its time. And John Wayne himself as an actor is no hero of mine mm-hmm. because that man was racist. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Dad, if you're listening, because I know John Wayne's your hero, but that man <laughs> <is> racist. <laughs> well said, Sarah. Yeah. So. Well, let's lighten it up a little bit. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. We got. There's an interesting feedback we got from Jasmine. Um, the topic is movie recommendation. Parentheses. I'm sorry. Hmm, I wonder <laughs> what this could be about. She says there is a movie. End. Just full stop. There is a movie. A movie movie. that is the pinnacle of all comedy. Full stop. A movie that has a 10 out of 10 rating on IMDb as of December 9th, 2016. A movie called Uno the Movie. Uno the Movie. (laughs) Uno the Movie, y'all. It has been called the best video game adaptation ever and quite possibly the best movie ever. Video game adaptation? <laughs> I know. Or just game adaptation, but yeah. Just video game. Yeah, just game. Okay, because um, I was like, it's not a video game. It's well, a card game. There's yeah. an iOS version of Uno, so therefore it's now a video Technically, game. Technically, okay. it's a video game, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. By the most basic rules sure. that Y'all, you can use a device. It's two hours and 45 minutes long. It follows a cast of five men as they slowly plummet into insanity during a game of Uno. Oh, my God. <laughs> Some people dubbing it a modern day 12 angry men. Oh, my God. <laughs> the best movie that Jasmine has ever seen. And it's the equivalent of taking a bunch of shrooms and watching a lava lamp. <laughs> <laughs> I great. really appreciate that. And it's on YouTube. And All it's right. on YouTube. Sean, get out your edibles. Sarah, grab a bottle of wine or two. Brian, get a box of tissues. And Roxy, sit back and watch as the psychological torture begins. Oh, my God. 
I almost watched it one night. I, really? I haven't watched it yet, but I haven't. Oh my god, I have oh plans god. tonight. I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> I know what you're doing. That's great. Um, so weed's legal in California now, y'all. I'm going for it for now. Yes, for now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maybe for now. Well, Albert Sessions is going to be the secretary. Uh, the Don't ruin general, this for me, Moriarty. He doesn't. He doesn't like that states are making marijuana legal, so mm. he's going to. And the Obama administration. I'm just gonna call you Buzzkill Brian from now. Sorry, <laughs> I believe me. I'm I'm on your side. I'm on your side. I just hope he doesn't. Anyway, get confirmed. thank anyway, you for the feedback, Jasmine. Yeah. Um, politics, no, not now. Um, happiness, Mel Brooks, you're Um, guys, thank you for feedback. We appreciate it. We don't read all of it anymore. We apologize just because one, we get a lot. Yeah. Um, and two, we also really want to share the ones that are really special. Like, yeah. thank you for telling us our podcast is great. Ellie, thank you for your feedback. Keep it coming, girl. Totally. We appreciate all the listeners. And sorry we couldn't read yours on the air. Um, <clears throat> or one of them. But so, um, we do want to take a moment to kind of acknowledge, uh, you know, a turning point that Nerdonomy is going through right now. Um, so first of all, um, if you guys ever haven't already heard the news at this point, um, we, we had to, uh, make a decision to, to let Nerds on History kind of finish itself off. So we, um, and I don't know if the new episode will have been, the final it episode will have, will have been, been released by now, yeah. Probably. Um, hopefully, yeah. So, um, Nerds on Film is not going anywhere. I want to, I want to, no. I want to reassure you of that, um. However, we do want to take a bit of a break because it's been a a very busy time for all of us. Sean just got married. Uh, I'm going through applications for grad school and have been teaching. Sarah, Sarah uh, and Roxy's careers are taken off. Absolutely, like, like gangbusters. Gangbusters, totally. y'all. So what we're gonna do is we're not gonna say what we said with nerds on history and say that we don't know when we're gonna come back. But right now, this is the end. Um, we we are going to come back. We are going to come back. Nerds on film is coming back. It's y'all. coming back. We are going to come back for the Oscar episode mm-hmm. for sure. Will we be coming back consistently after that point? We don't know yet. Only time will tell. But, but we are not going to. We are not going to stop producing content from Nerds on Film. Yeah, so basically, um, what's happening is, is we're taking a hiatus. We are not going to be recording anything aside from the Oscar episode however which way that looks like i don't know if we'll yeah, do we'll a streaming or if we'll just do a post show but um probably a post show because i'll be well toasted by then yeah, that'd be great um <laughs> it's gonna but, be awesome but we are not recording anything um basically i think through march so after that we will um we will have already come back together as a group talked about what nerds on film is going to look like in the future um and uh and kind of made some decisions yeah because we're looking at a couple different alternatives one is changing the format Mm -hmm. um obviously the other is potentially developing other new podcasts because we've we've obviously had ideas and you we've shared them out right too so there's there's things out there what i will say if you guys keep giving a feedback you know you can still do that by going to our website and doing so i would say if you want to follow what we're doing lean more heavily on our social media uh, I'm gonna slow down the social media posts because I've been doing like three a day all every weekday for for a while now. I'm gonna slow that down a little bit too. But if we get enough feedback, I will be more than happy to go on. I'll even go on Facebook Live mm-hmm. and I will read the feedback for you guys. Um, yeah, and we'll, we're still very active on Instagram and mm-hmm. Twitter. Yep, totally. And if you and honestly, if your feedback is literally just trying to give us ideas for other stuff we can be doing in An the future, episode? or what you would like to see in the way of possible new formats or mm-hmm. however which way episode ideas please give us more i mean that's that's fine too like even if it's just a direct episode or idea or like i said format changes yeah. mm. um it's hard to do a podcast year round i'm all about court, ca- crowdsourcing this information and like working off of other people's creativity too so yeah. um 
let's let's hear what you guys have to say. But but more than anything, sometimes we need a break just because we're exhausted. Yeah, yeah. we've been we're well, very hardworking nerds. I mean, we've taken little bits of breaks here and there, but we've been going pretty hard and fast this four years now. Mm-hmm. So other podcasts take seasons. Maybe yeah. maybe that's what's on our and future. y'all. We have such a huge backlog. <laughs> Yeah. Take your time, enjoy it. Take this as a, a chance to kind of review what we've we've provided for y'all, and and give us feedback around that. Like, mm-hmm. what episodes have you liked, and what have you not liked? And take from what we've already done, and and help us shape a bright future for Nerdonomy and Nerds on Film. Mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect way to put a button on it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Sarah, I mean, we've already kind of said how you can follow yeah. us, so we Just won't search do for Nerdonomy. You'll find us. You'll, You'll find see I, us. We kind of helped make up the word. so um, <laughs> Which I think is so cool, by the way. So um, it is that time, nerd. So until we meet again, stay nerdy. Tune into our next episode, which will be the Oscar podcast. Uh, same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. See ya. Love ya. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. And for your miserable performance, you shall receive no tip. No tip? Oh, that you remember. (laughs) Just the tip. Just the tip.